The third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. So initially we are told in the third day. Now, if you've been listening at all tonight, you might already be going, hey, you just said it was the last day of the first week. That would be the seventh day. And I thought the same thing. Uh, a little bit, it seemed a little confusing to me. Uh, so how does it say the third day here? Now here again, I have to, Dr. Frutenbaum and Aerial Ministries, I appreciate uh, the insight and the Jewish perspective that he brings uh, because Dr. Frutenbaum takes us back to verse 43 of chapter 1, which says the day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee. And as you remember in John chapter 1, we were able to put day by day by day, so we know that particular day was day 4. And so there were three days left. And from the Jewish perspective, we know that where Jesus was in John chapter 1 was in the area around Jerusalem. And to get to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem up to uh, Galilee, was typically a three-day journey. And so what, what John is pointing out is that now they have left Jerusalem and on their journey back into uh, the area around Galilee, it was that third day. They were pretty much there into the, the area of, of Galilee. As a matter of fact, they were. And that's how you can synthesize those two things. Now, we're also told here that, that there was a wedding. Don't you love weddings? <laughs> I don't know. Pastor Danny, would you rather do weddings or would you do funerals? That's a tough one. You know, you, say, that, you go, that sounds bad. You shouldn't want to do a funeral. You know, well, the thing about doing a funeral is the person you're doing the funeral for, I've never got any complaints. <laughs> never have. Um, there, it's... A, it's it's, and I don't know, Brother Mike, you've done this a long time. It, it's an interesting dynamic between doing a wedding and doing a funeral. Because sometimes it seems like the wedding is more like a funeral, and if it's a believer, the funeral is more like a wedding. Um, you know, it's a, you say, but think, about, think about that. Now, if you understand where I'm coming from, you probably have some spiritual insight there. But it is an interesting thing, and I thought to myself, man, I wonder who was performing this wedding. And then you find out on the guest list that Jesus is coming. Yeah, DT? <laughs> DT said the only difference between a wedding and a funeral is in a wedding the groom is standing up. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Pudding. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty good one, DT. I'm, I'm going to give you that. <laughs> uh, uh, all, no, all the married men that have any bravery are laughing. The rest of the men are, oh, that wasn't funny at all. Um, but uh, here we are on um, this wedding. And the Bible tells us that Mary was invited, and then also in verse 2, that both Jesus was called and his disciples. Now, at this point, there's five of them, and I believe some of them were, uh, were they, 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 they were, they're already apparently family, and many people think, matter of fact, some Bible commentaries think that this wedding was of a cousin or a family member of Mary, and therefore would have been a family member, you know, relationship uh, to uh, to Jesus. And by the way, that's really the reason we go is because we have to, right? Um, one of the things I try to get across to brides is the only, the, the most, the, the, pe- the people that want to be at the wedding the most are you. After that, it kind of goes downhill. Um, <laughs> really want to be there. I'm just kidding. It's a man, Pastor, you're really raining on weddings. Huh? No, they're great. They're great. They're great. Well, love doing them. Love doing them. Kind of, kind of, maybe a little. Uh, but this wedding feast, when we look at this from a Jewish perspective, Dr. Frutenbaum points out something that, you know, we don't really consider. Uh, that it tells us here that, that, that Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And there were two parts of this, of a wedding ceremony in first century Judaism in the days of Jesus. And 
the, the first part was an actual wedding ceremony. And in the wedding ceremony, very few people were called. It was a very uh, immediate family-only kind of event. But then the second part was the wedding feast. And the wedding feast lasted for seven days. And from what I can gather from not only Dr. Frutenbaum, from other sources I was checking into, it, it, it seems like some people, and you know who you are, stay for seven days the whole time. And then other people would start at the beginning, which was the main emphasis was the start of the, the wedding feast, and then might go, you know, because people had jobs and people, and they said, why would they do that seven days? Well, you might have to travel. You know, it wasn't quite as simple as today. Um, and it, I get the impression it was more like, it was seven days. It was kind of like a wedding open house, and it just lasted for seven days, which seems crazy to me. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but that's another sermon for another time. But that's a Jewish perspective. All right, let's go on in our story. Verse number three, the Bible says, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. So Jesus is at this wedding, and the Bible says they wanted wine. Apparently they'd run out. So Mary comes to Jesus and tells him about it. And, you know, you got to give her credit. She had a problem and she knew where to go for the solution. Now, this leads us into a great debate over the topic of uh, drinking wine and other alcoholic beverages. And, um, you know, I'm not going to run from this one, I never, I, which I don't like to do anyway. If you've been around here any length of time, you probably know. And if you haven't, stay tuned. I, I, I take as a as a community leader and as a pastor of church, I take a pretty strong stand against alcohol. And I would say that of uh, all the positions that I hold, it is yeah, probably the most unpopular and I'm in the greatest uh, minority in this particular issue. I understand it's unpopular and, you know, I, I guess it is what it is. But, um, you know, I, I, well, we'll get into it here in a little bit. But uh, I was reading, <clears throat> I've done a fair amount of study on this issue, and one book that I read cited a study that evangelical liberal arts colleges in general, all right, not any one denomination, but evangelical liberal arts colleges, back in 1951, uh, <clears throat> 98% of evangelical college students believed it was immoral or sinful to consume alcohol. We say that again. Back in 1951, which I know some of us, I wasn't quite here yet, but it was in my neighborhood. Back in that day, about the time I was born, 98% of college students believed it was immoral, it was sinful. But just 20 years later, by 1982, that number had dropped to 17%. Only 17%. Now, the author of the particular book that cites a study uh, suggests that the generation that went through the 60s, the free love generation where America compromised a lot of its morality, uh, began to have its first steps of playing out the consequences of what we were nationally embracing. And it found its way into Christianity. Now, um, the, the study goes on to show in this book that by 2005, less than 10% of evangelical Christian college students felt it was wrong to partake of alcohol. Now, I imagine if they were to take one now since 2005, that number would even be smaller. Now, you can say what you want, um, and I'm not going to argue that there's always been sin and humanity has always been depraved since the fall and man is evil and wicked. But I would submit to you, and especially those of us who've been around a while, that I sure liked the American culture of the 1950s. Not in totality. There were areas as a culture we needed to 
to deal with. Uh, don't misunderstand me here. But at the same time, I believe America was a safer, better place in 1950 than it was today. And I would submit to you that the reason is not because of uh, the free love crowd that showed up at Woodstock, but it was the result on churches and believers that have caused the problems that America has seen because the churches, starting with people in leadership, people in my position, um, losing their courage. And, um, and so here we are today. And almost every time, I can tell you in my years of being in the ministry where uh, this issue comes up, I can remember some years ago, I'm sure Jenny will remember it, and, uh, <laughs> when uh, Jenny and I began going on cruises, uh, I started going on, the first ones were Southern Gospel singing cruises, which we really much enjoyed. And we would be seated in the main dining, you know, you'd sit at different groups of tables, we didn't know anybody there, and of course, you were there the first night, and by the end of the first night at your table, you know, the game, everybody wanted to know what everybody did, you know, and as soon as I told them what I did, it did not take long because there's always the wine steward coming around, you know, you know, that, that this topic almost always came up. It amazes me <clears throat> how whenever this issue comes to the table, this miracle right here is the one that everybody knows about. I would submit maybe the only more well-known episode in the New Testament is the passage in Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged. That one's probably number one that everybody seems to know but doesn't know anything about it. This one is probably, as a pastor, I would say the number two. You know, they say, oh, you know, Jesus turned water into wine, so da 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 um, I would begin by suggesting that to believers in particular that this is the basis of why they choose to do what they do today, I would also ask them to consider uh, Matthew 16 where Jesus is talking to his followers, disciples, and he says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I wish that was as well known as this. Or Romans 12, 1 and 2 where Paul literally begs the believers to present themselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That there are some things as a believer that we do because it's the reasonable thing to do in light of the call of God. Now, um, I've put a lot of time in on this issue over the years, and, um, you know, in full honesty, because as I grew in my faith, I, um, I don't want to be that person that just says they believe what they believe because that's what they were parroted. That's what they were told they had to believe. And if you grew up in a strong independent Baptist mindset, sometimes, whether it's intentional or non-intentional, and I have my opinions on that, sometimes I think it's rather intentional. Some of the most dumb people are independent Baptists because they're not taught to think. They're just taught to do whatever someone like me tells them to do. And as long as you do that, you're a great Christian, by the way, and, you know, make sure you leave your offering in the back, you know. Um, I, I don't want that in my own personal life, nor do I desire it in those who listen or are part of our church family. I want you to study the Scripture uh, to be, as Pastor Danny would say, to be a Berean, you know, to study those Scriptures to see whether that be so. And I would start by saying I have a lot of friends of mine that 
I would say are good Christians who disagree with me. Um, I, I disagree with them. They disagree with me. That's okay. And to some extent, even inside any local church, I think there needs to be some level. Um, you've heard me say this. I'll say, I'll say it once. I'll say it without. If you end up in a church where everybody believes the same thing on every issue, find yourself a different church. There needs to be some people inside your church that view some things differently than you that are provoking you to think and study and challenge what you think you believe. Now, if the, if the sides are so, you know, like in a church like ours, for example, there's a whole, if there's 25% of the church that believes in Calvinistic tenets, that's going to be problematic. You know, that's a core theological position that's going to, that's going to lead to some issues. Um, and, and so I, I, I understand that people are going to tend to coalesce around positions that they mutually agree on, but there should be some room for some uh, healthy disagreement. Um, my, my personal position over the years on this has modified as I have sought to be a teachable individual. A, I, I do, will start out by saying I do plan on, if you're curious, I plan on continuing my unpopular position. I, I plan on it. I, uh, I'm passionate about this issue because of my life journey, um, my family history, and um, having seen the consequences of alcohol and its destruction. Um, so I plan on continuing that position in case we start out there. So my position is particularly unpopular with a lot of what we call new evangelical people today that want to just everything's okay, it's New Testament, everything's under grace, you know, and we are not under Old Testament law, agreed. Uh, we'll talk about that here in a moment. Um, but it also, my position to where I'm at in this time of life is not always popular with the most, especially some of my ardent independent Baptist friends, I'm probably, they're probably not happy with me either. So I probably take a little heat from both ways. Now, to really do this justice, I'm going to, I need really to take a whole Wednesday night. I didn't really know if I wanted to do that or not. I didn't know if there, if that, if you find that as something of interest uh, on on the, delving into this one issue for a little bit, where I would jump for one week out of life from Messiah and just deal topically with this issue, or that is not of interest to you. So if that's something you'd be find interesting, um, I would be happy to maybe take a week and just share with you how I arrived biblically at where I am today and why I believe that the biblical position is that Christians should obtain abstain from the use of alcohol today um, but today for tonight's session I want to just delve at least into a little bit into this topic maybe I can uh, <laughs> wet your whistle maybe you say <laughs> if I could use it you think you the alcohol people all got that all right now I know how the drinkers are um uh yes you know broccoli says a, 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 a teetotaler not what they call this back in the you know you know, I don't even like tea yeah. I'm a coke totaler that sounds bad too in today but let me fix that I'm a pepsi totaler um cherry pepsi to be my my preference but at any rate um uh I I believe, as I studied for many years, as I was told that, and I was taught as a teenager, that every time in the Bible that the, the Bible uses the word wine, it just simply means grape juice. And I just no longer can intellectually hold that position because it is just not honest 
with the clear meaning of Hebrew words and Greek words. You can say at times that the Greek word that is used for wine can be used for just juice, but the context will define it so. But in normative use in the scriptures, wine contains some level of fermentation. It just does. In addition, the years I've spent doing cultural studies, specifically from a a Jewish perspective, they would just look at you as you're crazy if you think that it's only grape juice. It's just... Now, if you, if you want to hold that position, and the strongest one to, to hold that, and maybe we can deal with that a little next week, because there, there is, uh, if I had to hold the, that position, the, the, the thing I'd hang my hat on, I think, is the position that fermentation is a showing of a breakdown, is a better typification of sin than it is of righteousness. Um, but I don't know if you can find a biblical thing that, that lays that out particularly clearly, number one. And number two, it's a, at this point in time in our existence, the fermentation of juice is a natural process. And if you're going to just say that a natural process is in and of itself evil, then logistically you're going to run into some problems with the rest of the natural processes in which we live. Um, and, and so I, 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 I kind of moved a, away from that position, those two things as I began to study saying, the Hebrew words and the Greek words, it's just not really what it means, number one. And number two, from the Jewish perspective, it's just not what it means. And I know you're saying, but, but what you said you think you're Christian. I'm, yes, I did think. I do hold that position, and I'm not changing it. Um, and I would tell you that I would challenge you, and what I would love to show you if, if I do this next week is, just like every other facet of theology that I hold, I believe the Bible should be considered in its entirety, and it should be considered in the information given in its context and historical setting. Can I get an amen, Pastor Danny? He, he harps that all the time. I've learned that from him. I, I, you need to look at the entirety of the scriptures in its context and in what we clearly know about the historical setting in which it is given. And I think we ought to look at it that way. Um, but tonight, I want to look, I want to focus, I want to finish out a little bit on the life of Messiah aspect of this and then maybe, like I said, do a topic on that. It's just not an easy one to do. Because when it comes to this particular topic, you say, well, there's a lot of debatable items. There is a lot of debatable items. We could talk about a lot of things that Christians disagree on and we're different Christians in different positions. You say, why is it on this one you're choosing such a hard stance? Because this one, the Bible says a lot of specific things exactly about it. I, I hate to break some of my friends saying the Bible doesn't give us specific things on if women should wear earrings specifically. Oh, Timothy says, again, read it, study it. But it doesn't tell me clearly if a woman's wearing pants, it means she's some kind of immoral, she's trying to be a man. The Bible doesn't say that. There's things today in our culture we debate about that Christians, good Christians can have different stances on. And I think there's healthy room for that. But the Bible does say a lot about this issue. And what makes it tough is if you're honest, the Bible has some positive things to say about wine, and it has some negative things to say. And how do you synthesize that? And, and I will tell you, it took me uh, some time to come to personal setting on this issue. Um, but again, as if you've been around here any length of time, you know, if I let the cat out of the bag, or a dog would be better, a dog wouldn't find himself in the bag. The cat would, hanging over a clothesline. Oh, <laughs> that's terrible. Um, Thank you. Say the cat. I just got to dig a cat every time I can. I never, I never did that. Michael, did you ever do that? Did you ever get a couple cats and throw them over? You never did that, did you? Okay, he's just he, guilty all over. You are my brother. from another. Um, But 
the Bible has some positive and negative things to say, and somehow, how do we synthesize this out? And um, if you'd be interested in that, I guess I'm going to tell you to uh, either put it in the notes below on the comments if you're watching, because I'll get a lot of negative feedback <laughs> on it. Um, or if you here in one tonight would like, like me to take a week and, and do that, all right? I only got 10 minutes left, so with that in mind, I want to get to something that is very applicable to all of us today. Uh, let's read on in verse number four in our text. All right, so they, they run out of wine. Jesus and the mom comes to him and says, hey, we, we're all out. And Jesus saith under verse four, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. So Jesus, when, his, when mom asked him and tells him about the problem and basically she's asking him, hey, I need you to fix this problem, uh, Jesus says to her that his hour has not yet come. Now, I've read some Gentile commentaries that believe that Jesus is already talking about his death, but we already know this is the first week of his ministry. I don't think right now that's really when he's talking about mine hour. He's not referring to the hour of his crucifixion and death. I think the context, again, is really critical here. I think he's at the very beginning of his ministry, and Dr. Frutenbaum points out that his hour had not yet come for him to begin doing miracles to prove that he was the Messiah. Now, if you stay with me, you're going to see the distinction between the early part of Jesus' ministry and the later part and why it changes. And in the early part of his ministry, we are going to find that pretty much everything Jesus does in the early part of his ministry, almost everything, not everything, but almost everything, is to show that he is the Messiah. And he's not ready to do that. Now, some people... Uh, um, you know, have some questions about this whole thing in terms of why Jesus is doing it and why he's not. But many would think, and Dr. Frutenbaum said, if you were going to do your very first miracle to prove you were the Messiah, would you want to do it in a little town like Cana, or would you rather do it in Jerusalem or in Capernaum? And most were saying that more than likely it was probably his intention to do his first miracle in one of these major cities. I don't know which one, and we don't know for sure. That's conjecture, but that's what, you know, some of the, the brainiac people think. Um, but it's also interesting to me, though, is it is very clear throughout the story that we get the idea that Jesus does not want to do this, right? If you read the rest of it, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't really want to do it. But his mother wants him to do it, which leads me to a question. It might seem here that the will of Mary is outdoing the will of Jesus, Ooh, that's, again, my Calvinist friends, that's problematic. Um, or did God just sovereignly design this to all? I suppose that maybe that's what it is. But um, Jesus says to her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Now, it sounds in our English and American Western mindset is it like is he being disrespectful? Um, no. See, some people say he needed to do what Mary wanted him to do and say, why did he do it? Because she's his mom. Ever heard that one? Well, she's his mother, so he had to do what she said because she's mom. Wrong. <laughs> That's why he responds to her the way that he does. Jesus is reminding her that he is no longer under her parental authority. Boom, mic drop. And all the men said, amen. Okay, there's a few of us that said it. Um, he is a grown man, and under Mosaic law, he was fully responsible for his own decisions. That's why tonight's Bible study is called, you know, water into wine and boys to men. Water into wine and boys to men. You know how you can tell between a boy and a man? Is a man will stand up to his mother. Thank you. I got some good laughs from the associate pastor's wife laughing the most. So, <laughs> Danny, I think we have to talk afterwards. Uh, uh, <laughs> 
That's a good analogy, isn't it? And you think I'm being, I'm, partly I am being funny. I do it to be funny. I do a lot of things funny. But I'm also being serious. You can tell the boys from the men, from the men that will stand up to their moms, or worse yet, their mother-in-law. No. Respectfully, I got a mom twerking back at me out here, all right? The crowd, they didn't care about the water and wine thing, but they're talking about the moms. Now, some moms never want to give up control. And I know moms. I now am married to a woman who has adult children, although my wife just wants my children just to leave us alone. Um, <laughs> so all my children that are watching tonight, leave your mother alone. She doesn't care. Um, no, just kidding. Just, just kidding. Um, but this is true especially for married men. But I ask you, was Jesus married? No, okay, good. I'm, I'm, again, the, assess, uh, the, the assistant pastor's wife is coming with all the answers tonight. Thank you. I, no, he wasn't married. So uh, th- this, is, this is true of any man, but I would quantify this. Let me quantify this. If you're a man that's still living under the household of your mom and your dad, you're, not, you're, you're probably still do what mom says. I'm talking about men that are out doing men things and providing for themselves and doing adult man things. If you're not doing that yet, then you still need to deal with your mom. But if you've moved out of the household and you're paying your own way and your own bills and you're doing your own thing, you know, I personally think this is the, the analogy to the, the, the biblical admonition, you are now no longer under her parental authority. Some men are so afraid of their moms and it's a big, I can promise you, it's a big problem in a lot of marriages. Now, again, uh, guys, I'm, I'm just being honest with you here. Your, your woman, your wife is never going to fully respect you until they believe that she is the most important thing in your life and not mama. Ooh, I'm stepping on toes. See why I had to get off the wine? You said, get back on the wine thing. Um, however, the Bible does tell us to honor our father and mother. Amen? And that is a lifetime command. Matter of fact, there's a special blessing to those who honor their father and mother. But the time comes when we must do things for our parents out of honor and not obedience. Ooh, that's good. That's so good, I'll say it again. There must be a time when we do things for our parents out of honor and not obedience. Jesus was making sure that his mother knew what he was about to do was not because he was doing it, because he was submitted to her. Ooh. Now, I know some moms that would have got all offended when Jesus said that to them, and they probably wouldn't have got their wine. <laughs> but Mary understood, you're a full-grown man, and I respect your decision. As we'll see next week, that's why she responds the way that she does. Because Mary knew what he was about to do was out of honor to her and not obedience. Now, if we get farther down the road, this will be several probably months because of how long-winded I am. But eventually we'll get there. We're going to find there will come another time and Jesus has an interaction with his mother where she wants him to do something and he tells her no. So there is biblical precedent to what I'm sharing with you. And by the way, 
interestingly enough, it's on the day of the unpardonable sin. Maybe that is the unpardonable sin, telling your mother no. <laughs> um, <laughs> just kidding, stay with us here. But on this occasion, we're going to find out that Jesus does do her wishes out of honor. But as we're going to see, he does it as discreetly as possible. And it would have been his preference that no one even would have known about it. But God chooses in the midst of all of it to put it right here in the scriptures. Now, obviously, I love every word of God. I believe the whole word of God is inspired, infallible, and all those things. But this might be one of the stories one day as a pastor who pastors in America today. I might go to the Lord one day and say, Lord, could you just not have left this story out? Do you know how many questions I've had to answer because of this story? Do you know how many people got into the destruction of alcohol? Because, you know, I, I have questions. I have questions, and I ask them. But the bottom line is, especially to our men here tonight, you know, if you're married, your wife has to be number one. It does not mean that your mother should not be honored, and it does not mean that you should not seek the wisdom of your mom. I'm not, please don't misunderstand. I'm having a little fun at mom's expense tonight, but we, we need to honor them. But I will tell you, it is a big problem. But when your wife knows that she is number one, and that you are man enough to direct your household doesn't mean that you're dishonoring your mom. It means you're taking on the responsibility of a family. And all the men in here say, <laughs> Amen! Okay, I'll say it. Um, that's boys to men stuff. And uh, that's it for tonight. On that wonderful note, I'm going to stop and close and make a run for the exit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna have the, the, the I'm gonna have the, <laughs> I'm gonna have the wine bibbers and the, and the mommy boys all chasing me around here, and I don't, I don't, I'm afraid of both, so I'm gonna get out of here tonight. There you go, DT. Can I run out of here in your thing? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I dare DT dares me to get in front of my wife and say that. Yeah, that's why she's in the back row, DT. You know, get your wife in the back row. If you'd, get, if you'd get Tommy in the back row, I, you could say all kinds of things. Uh, <laughs> she'd have a long rope, wouldn't she? <laughs> no, you'd probably be getting left right here. <laughs> That's what would happen. All right, I'm, 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 I, I've said way too much tonight, and I'm going to get in trouble. All right, if you, if you don't like it, if you dis- disagree with anything I've said tonight, please address your emails to Pastor Danny at Assistant Pastor at Open Door Baptist Church, and he'll be glad to get back to you, all right? All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, it's been good to be here tonight. Thank you for the privilege of studying your word. And um, Lord, help us to love one another and uh, pray for all the families here, especially all the marriages here. Uh, Lord, we're so thankful for our parents. Help us to honor them. And yet, Lord, also help us to set the direction as men to love our wives and uh, to be submitted into the authority of of you in in our family. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're dismissed. We'll see you all. uh, Do we have anything, Jenny, anything this week? I know we got a lot going on this weekend, right? So... Saturday, the next thing up is Saturday, the homeschool meeting here at the church.